This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good, really good to see all of you here today. Uh, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you this morning, we pray that you will help us to ponder the last chapter of the teacher's words in the book of Ecclesiastes. We pray that as he brings the matter to a close, that we will be able to understand the conclusion and the application of his search for meaning in this life. And we pray for all these things and in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now many years ago, I was friends with uh, one of my sister's friends in university. He was a doctor, a young man, very clever, intelligent, very articulate, very friendly guy. And I went through uh, the Bible with him and he actually came to the conclusion that the Bible was true and that Christianity was true and that Jesus Christ actually died on the cross for him. So I asked him if he wanted to become a Christian and he said no. He wanted to enjoy life first and he would become a Christian later. He wanted to postpone the decision, delay the decision, and he said that he would become a Christian in the future. He assured me that he was very serious about it. Now according to today's passage that we are looking at today, uh, my friend, my sister's friend actually, uh, made a very serious mistake. A mistake in the highest order. Because as we come to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Now this is the major theme of chapter 12, to remember God, right? To remember your Creator. To not delay, especially when you are young. Now, this word remember is not used in a narrow sense. Because you know when, when we say remember, we just mean don't forget, right? Or keep in your memory. It's just an intellectual thing. But actually, in the Bible, the word remember has connotations of not just an intellectual thing, but a relationship. When it says, remember God, it means be in relationship with God, worship God, obey God. So in other parts of the Bible, like in the book of Psalms and Deuteronomy, it talks about how in the night I remember your name, O Lord, and I will keep your law. So remembering God has implications on the way that I live. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms His covenant which He swore to your forefathers as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify you against you today that you will surely be destroyed. So here in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, when it says, Remember the God of your Creator, your Creator, It doesn't mean just in an intellectual sense, it means in a sense of obedience, in a sense of worship, in a sense of bowing down before God, your Creator. And this is very pertinent and relevant to the young, because it continues on from chapter 11. Because in chapter 11, it talks about how youth is like sunny days, the sunny days of warmth and sunshine and pleasure and enjoyment. And as you are young, it's so easy to forget God. Because, as we saw last week, right, that youth is a time where there's so much enjoyment of life that God seems so far away, especially the God of judgment. So remember last week we looked at the, the song uh, of Alphaville, right, Forever Young, okay? And I always like the lyrics on uh, the next slide. 
about how like there's so many adventures, you know, so many songs they want to sing, so many dreams that they want to fulfill, that God seems so far away. So you notice here in chapter 12 that God is described as your creator. Because judgment may seem very far away, but remember God, your creator, who gives you the ability, the vibrancy to play sport, to jump, to run, to swim, to dive, to bungee jump, who knows, right? But remember God, your creator, who gives you the warm living days of your youth. Because in chapter 12, verse 1 onwards, it says, Before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Now, again, this is linked back to chapter 11, the last part of chapter 11, where it talks about how in chapter 11, verse 10, right, it says, so banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. Now we saw last week that this idea of meaninglessness is the Hebrew word havel. The idea of how youth and vigor are short, transitory, like a breath, like vapor. And therefore it is meaningless, it is chasing after the wind because the time of youth is fleeting. Because the time of youth, as it says in chapter 12, will be followed by days where you find no pleasure in them. And here in chapter 12, it's actually a very dark, I guess, poem in a sense, to the, I guess, the difficulties of growing old. There's no other way of saying it. Um, it's interesting because in the Bible study, some of the people said when they read chapter 12 when they were young, they couldn't understand what the author was talking about. But now that they read it and they understand it, it must mean that they themselves are getting old. So, if you go through it with me, he uses a lot of imagery which puts in very stark terms, I guess, the difficulties of growing old as a way of encouraging the young to remember God, their creator, when they're young. So, it says there in verse 2, Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. Now, obviously, there's a lot of imagery, poetry, metaphor at work here, but it's sort of saying that when you grow old, right, things become dark. Now, it could just mean like the winter of life. Because, you know, in winter time, obviously Singapore, we don't have winter time, but you know, in winter, things grow dark. The sun and the moon and the stars and the light, they no longer shine so brightly. So, last week, uh, when uh, Andrew Reid gave the talk on depression, he gave a very interesting picture about how, you know, there are these pictures of England. You know, when you take a picture of England in winter time, it's very dark and gloomy all the time. And he said that, you know, that's how, how he felt when he was depressed. But in the same way, when people grow old, it's described in the same way that it's like winter time. It's gloomy, it's dark. The sunshine, the light of youth is lost. It, it could also be a picture of how, you know, when you grow old, your eyesight is no longer good. Uh, it's like um, for myself. Uh, you know, I like things brighter and brighter at night because it's hard to read. 
And it's because your eyesight is not so good. But when you're young, you know, you know, you can read in complete darkness. It doesn't matter. You can still read. But the, but the picture goes on, right? And it says, you know, and the clouds return after the rain. Now that's a very shocking picture, right? Because after it rains, what usually happens? Usually you get sunshine, you know, a bright sunny day. You expect the sun to come out after it rains. But as a metaphor of old age, it's sort of saying that when you're young, after it rains, you do expect the sun to come out. You know, when you get sick, you get better, especially if you're young. You fall down, you, you cut yourself, you get up again tomorrow, maybe there's a bruise, but you get better. But when you grow old, there will come a time where even after it rains, the sun doesn't come out, but the cloud comes out instead. You get sick, but instead of getting better, the cold keeps lingering and lingering and maybe you get pneumonia. Or you fall down and you injure yourself, but instead of getting better, you get more and more subsequent injuries and aches and pains. Or even at a social level, you know, I remember my dad uh, used to eat breakfast with me and he used to say, you know, when you're young, huh? You don't read the obituary pages. Who reads the obituaries when you're older, right? Because nobody you know dies, right? But when my dad is old, he was always looking at the obituary pages and he was always pointing out to me, hey, I think I know this person. I think I know this person. It's like, even at the social level, it seems like this, the dark days keep coming. Every couple of weeks, every couple of months, it seems as if someone you know passes away. In verse 3 and 4, uh, the poem continues. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds and all their songs grow faint. Now here we see old age shown as a house and the inhabitants of a house. And the image can be very general or can be very specific. It's generally, it's like even if you take the picture as a whole, as a corporate, right? As a composite. It's a picture of a house growing old. Once in the house, there were strong guards, but now the guards are weak. Once there were many people grinding food, you know, grinding the flour to make much bread for feasts and for food, but now there are only a few. Once the doors of the house were proudly open to welcome many visitors and guests, but now they are closed, and there are only a few people in the house looking out. So it's a picture of a house like growing old. You know, like a house growing old. You can sort of see some of these houses, like you drive past East Coast, you see some of these really grand, proud houses, but now they're sort of falling down. Some people see it in terms of imagery of the body, right? So the ha- it's like the, the, the strong men trembling are like the hands trembling, right? And the strong men stooping are like, you know, when you get old, the, 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 your, your back and your legs start stooping. And when you have few grinders, you know, maybe you have fewer teeth, so you don't eat. And you know, your eyes grow dim because there are fewer people looking out of the window. 
But whatever it is, it's still a very bleak and gloomy picture, right? So you can't sort of preach a sermon like this and make jokes and everything, right? Because it's, it's such a, it's such a dark picture of, 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 of age coming after youth. And then it goes on in, in verse 4, right? When people rise up at the sound of birds and all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire is no longer stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Now here again, it's a very gloomy picture of youth turning to old age. Because you know when you grow old, it's hard to sleep. You know, like young people, like my family members, have no trouble waking up at midday, right? It's like midday, you still have to wake them up for lunch, right? You know, it's, but then, you know, old people, they, 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 they wake up early. It's like they, they have trouble sleeping in. But the paradox here is that the littlest sound wakes them up. You know, you, 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 in my, when my, when I was staying with my mother, my mother would complain at the slightest noise, right? It's like, you know, even when you walk down the stairs, you have to walk down very quietly because she'll wake up. But yet, even though she can wake up at such a small sound or interruption, it says, all their songs grow faint. So even as you grow older, your hearing is not so acute. It's true. I remember my grandfather, I used to, you know, go to his room and his TV was getting louder and louder. And to talk to him, I have to shout louder and louder. So much so, I had to bring him to see an ear specialist uh, to get a hearing aid, but he refused to wear the hearing aid, right? He's going, I'm okay, I'm okay, I can hear you. But actually, they can't really hear you, right? And then it says there that when the almond tree blossoms, right? So when the almond tree blossoms, it's like it becomes white, right? So when you grow older, your, your hair becomes white. It says, when the grasshopper drags itself along. So you know the grasshopper is an image of energy. Right? You know the grasshopper jumps very high, it's very vigorous. But here is a picture of a grasshopper who's dragging himself along or itself along. And that's like a picture of youth where you used to be jumping and skipping and running everywhere. But when you grow old, you can just sort of shuffle along with difficulty. And it goes on to say, and desire is no longer stirred. And it's talking about how when people grow old, maybe it's sexual desire or desire for food or for desire for excitement, they all begin to wane. You know, when you get older, it's like the things that used to really make you excited, give you passion for life, are no longer there. There's no, there's no longer that drive or the energy to find excitement and passion in things. So here, it basically says, remember God when you're young, before the days where you find no pleasure come. But in verse 6 to 7, it repeats the idea, remember Him, remember God the Creator, before 
the silver cord is severed, and the golden bowl is broken. Before the pitcher is shattered at the wheel, and the wheel is broken, sorry, at the spring, and the wheel broken at the well. Now here there are four pictures, and each of those pictures is a picture of something broken. But it's meant to show, I suppose, in a very real way, something valuable broken. But not just something valuable, but each of these valuable things um, are life-giving things. Right? So you think of the image. Uh, oh, if you could go back to uh, the, the, the lamp. Okay, so usually the cord, the silver cord here, is holding on to an oil lamp. But when the cord breaks, and the cord snaps, then the lamp drops and the light is, is extinguished. Uh, a bowl, golden bowl, may hold something valuable like water or food. When it drops and it breaks again, the food and the water is lost. Uh, the clay pitcher, which is at the spring, is used to hold water. Again, when it's broken, the water is lost. The wheel at the well, when it's broken, can no longer be used to bring water out of the well. What it's saying here is that the exhortation is to remember God, your Creator, before death. Before the silver cord is broken and the light is extinguished, before the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher which holds water is shattered, before the wheel is broken at the well. Because if you do not Remember God before death, then it is too late. Because it says there, and the dust, in verse 7, right, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. And this is a very real picture of death, right? Because when you die, you go back to the ground, to dust. I remember... Um, my mother, when she died, uh, after we cremated her, we went to pick up her ashes from the crematorium. Uh, what used to be a living person seven days ago fit into a shoebox, right? The size of a shoebox. It was just dust and bones, right? And we spread her ashes into uh, my dad's garden. And, and basically, you could just hold uh, a person in your hand. And as the dust... And in a sense, that is what we are, right? I mean, that is the sum total of all our dreams, our lives, our flesh. The vigor of youth is reduced to just dust. So, this passage actually begins by saying, remember God when you're young. Remember God before old age. Remember God before death when it is too late and you are back in the dust of earth. Now, this reminds me very much of the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 3, because it's the same thing of remembering God today, now. Don't delay anymore, don't postpone like my sister's doctor friend. Right? Don't postpone remembering God, coming into a relationship with Him. See to it, it says, brothers, that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened 
by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. So I think it's very true that if you forget God and you harden your heart today, then the warning is that you will keep forgetting God. And when the silver cord is broken and death comes, it will be too late to remember God, your Creator. So there was an evangelist called John Chapman. And I remember he said this quite profound thing. He says, every time you say no to God, it's harder to say yes in the future. Now, Every time you say no to God, it's, it makes it all the harder to say yes to God in the future. And I think that's very true. Because my sister's friend, the doctor, the young doctor, enjoyed life. I remember after I spoke to him, he traveled the world. He went to Tibet, Thailand, to Indonesia. He met a lovely French girl. He fell in love. He broke up. Today, he has a living girlfriend with a, 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 a child. And I remember asking him many years later whether he wanted to become a Christian then. And he said no. He said he couldn't be a Christian because he was now in the wrong life situation. He had a girlfriend. He, he wasn't married. He had a child. And he he said, no, I can't become a Christian. It's just, I, 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 you know, I think the words were, it's, uh, it's not right for me at the moment. So when I look back at my sister's friend, it's with great sadness, right? Because the decision to reject Jesus in the sunny days of youth, where he was carefree, where he had no worries, he was living in the warmth of, you know, his travels and his, you know, his full life, has led him to where he is today. Now he's no longer young, he is middle-aged, he has all the responsibilities of, uh, you know, a working person with a child. But the decision to say no to God when he was young has made it harder and harder for him to say yes to God to today. And the lesson that we learn in Ecclesiastes, I think, applies to him as well as to us. Remember your Creator in the days of youth, before the days of trouble come, before death comes to us. Now in verse 8, it ends with meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, everything is meaningless. And here, it forms the, uh, I guess like a, a book end, right? Like, you know, you, you, there, there are two ends of a, you know, a bookshelf, the, the, the beginning, and this part frame the whole of Ecclesiastes. Because in the beginning, the teacher also said, meaningless, meaningless. Right? Everything is utterly meaningless. And here at the end, he summarizes that at the end of Ecclesiastes. And what he's saying is, in his search for meaning under the sun, he's looked at pleasure, he's looked at wisdom, he's looked at work, he's looked at money, he's looked at companionship, he's looked at life itself. And there's nothing really meaningful under the sun. There is no real profit or gain under the sun. And this ties in with chapter 12 because only in remembering God, your Creator, then there is real meaning in life. Having a relationship with God, the Creator, gives meaning to life because life itself is meaningless, is 
fleeting and is passing. It is not profitable in itself. So meaning is not found in the creation under the sun. Meaning is found in knowing the creator God himself outside of life under the sun. Now verse 9 onwards, therefore, is an exhortation to us to take his words seriously and to pay great attention and, and, and heed the warning that he gives to remember God the Creator. So verse 9 to 10, it says, Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. So this part actually tells us about the teacher. What is the teacher like? He was not just wise, but he sought to give that wisdom and impart wisdom to people in a way that was understandable. He searched out and he set out many proverbs for us to understand his wisdom. His teaching was upright and true. This is not a communicator of fake news. right? He's telling you things which are upright and true. He himself is wise, therefore listen to the teacher. Listen to what he's saying about God. Listen to what he's saying about meaning. And in verse 11, he says, The words of the wise are like goads. They are collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Now, here's the purpose for which the teacher wrote Ecclesiastes. Now, the goad is a sharp stick, right? So, the next slide. Okay, this is what a goad looks like. So, it looks very painful and pleasant, okay? It's basically something which is used to poke oxen or, you know, beasts of labor to walk straight. Like, so you're plowing the field, right? And the you know, oxen's going off the road. You're trying to poke it, but the oxen to go in a straight line to plow your field. Now, this is a very interesting description of the Bible and of wisdom literature and of Ecclesiastes. It is meant to be painful to poke you to walk in the right direction. Now, that's really fascinating because we don't really read uh, the Bible to be poked and prodded in a painful way. Um, Unfortunately, we live in a world where when we read something, we like to feel comforted. We like to feel, uh, you know, the warm, fuzzy feelings of encouragement. But actually, the teacher here wrote Ecclesiastes to poke you in a painful way so that you will be moving and living life in the right direction. Now, this is difficult for us because many times when we read the Bible, including Ecclesiastes, whenever we feel uncomfortable, what is a natural human instinct. It is to ignore what the Bible is saying or to rationalize what it's saying so that we feel better about ourselves. But that's not real life, right? Because what this passage is saying is that we must listen to the words of the teacher even when it feels uncomfortable, when it hurts, because it is poking us to live in the right way. It says that the Bible and Ecclesiastes are like firmly embedded nails. So, you know, you think about a nail driven into the wall, right? And the nail is driven to the wall to give a secure point to hang pictures. So the nail itself is not loose. The nail itself is not, you know, changeable, right? It's, like it's locked into the place. It's not going to fall off. 
And this speaks of the teachings of Ecclesiastes. It is a firmly embedded nail which gives security, safety, and I guess something to hold on to in a world which is you know, ever changing and uncertain. So when we read Ecclesiastes, it is not like a word which will be superseded by other words or is a word which is ever-changing, but it is the word of God which is embedded there by which we base our life. It is unchanging, it is fixed, it is rigid, it is something that gives security, a secure guide for living. Now, this is summed up by the last part of this verse which says, it is given by one shepherd. The one shepherd here, I think, is God. Because God is often referred to in the Old Testament as the shepherd. So the most famous is Psalm 23. Okay, The Lord is my shepherd. Now, in other parts of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, God himself is referred to as the shepherd. Now this is very important because if you've been looking through the book of Ecclesiastes, God is referred to as the judge. God is referred to as the creator. But you know, can you have a relationship with a judge? Bit difficult, right? Maybe the judge will judge you and not very happy with you. Uh, if you read the newspaper, the way the judge speaks to the people in court also not very friendly sometimes, right? Can you have a relationship with the creator? Maybe not, right? The way the world views it, God made the world and then he's disappeared somewhere. But you can have a relationship with God, the shepherd. Because the shepherd cares for you. The shepherd guides you. The shepherd is intimately concerned about your welfare. And that's why God, the shepherd, has given us the words of the teacher in Ecclesiastes. Because in his love and care, he wants us to live in a certain way where there is meaning where we can live wisely in this world. And that means remembering Him. Now that's why in verse 12, because the words of the wise, of the teacher, are like goads, they're like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Therefore be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now, if you take this in isolation, you know, all the students will think, ah, that's good, man. No need to study anymore. Why study all these books, right? It's all wearying. Of the making of many books is weary. But I don't think that's what the teacher is saying. He's not saying generally about study. He's talking very specifically about what is written. Right? What is he really saying? He's saying that because the teacher's words in Ecclesiastes are, are the words of the one shepherd... They are firmly embedded nails. They are like goads guiding us. Then be warned of reading many books. Because if you read many books and they contradict what the wisdom literature is saying in the book of Ecclesiastes, then the temptation is, I will ignore what the wisdom of the teacher is and I will follow the other books of wisdom. You know, I'll follow the philosophies of this world. I'll follow the seven habits of highly successful people instead. I will follow the latest fads and trends. 
which come year after year, of the many books, the thousands of books which are published. But be warned, it says, right? be warned of anything in addition to what the teacher has already said. Do not add or subtract from what he has already said. Because the words of the teacher in Ecclesiastes are meant to guide us and to give us a firm, secure guide in life. So in verse 13 to 14, he concludes the matter. Now when all has been heard, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now, as we come to the very end, he's saying that actually life in itself has no real meaning unless it is lived in preparation for meeting God. Isn't that what he's saying? Look very carefully, right? When all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. Because life is not just this life under the sun. Life must be lived in preparation for meeting God, the judge. So therefore, when we live in this life, fear God and keep in mind judgment. Now for the Jew who was reading Ecclesiastes in the first place, having a relationship with God, remembering God, fearing God, living a life of judgment meant living through the law, the covenants, going to the temple, being a good Jew. But for us today as Christians, when we read Ecclesiastes, living in fear of God, taking into account judgment, remembering God our Creator, means putting our faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. Putting our faith in Jesus Christ declaring us righteous before God so that we do not fear judgment anymore. So Mike Rater, um, last week he gave some talks on uh, the Project Timothy uh, missions talks. I, I, I thought they were really good, the, one I, the ones I heard. He gave this really good illustration. He said in Australia, they have great danger from bushfires. Right? You know, so the, the fire can destroy many li- hundreds of lives, destroy towns, houses, properties. And In Australia, one of the ways to protect a property or a town from bushfire was paradoxically to burn. They have these burn-offs. They burn off all the the, the scrub around the property or the town. So that when the bushfire comes, the area which has been burnt off already, the scorched earth, cannot burn again because there is nothing to burn. You've burnt off all the fuel for the fire. In the same way, he said, the fire of God, the God, the judgment, the fire of God's judgment has already burned at the cross in Jesus Christ. Right? At the cross of Christ, God's judgment, His wrath has already burned there. And therefore, safety can only be found from God's judgment at the cross. Because it is at the cross where the fire of God's judgment has already burned on Jesus. And if we find safety there in Jesus, we will have no fear of God's judgment. So in John chapter 3, it says, For God so loved the world, that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, 
But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. So how is a person to live in this world? How is a person to be wise in this world? How is a person to find meaning in life in this world? It is to live in fear of God and the light of judgment. And the only way to do so is to put our faith in God's only Son, to believe in the Son so that God's wrath will not come upon us. So in conclusion, as we've gone through the book of Ecclesiastes, as we've been looking at uh, the meaning of life under the sun. The conclusion is very clear, right? Uh, when all has been heard, when everything has been examined, then there's no more need for any more books or any more examination. When all has been heard, meaning is found in fearing God and keeping His commandments, knowing and preparing for judgment. And the only way we do that is to drive ourselves to the cross of Christ. To hold on to that cross and to know that that is the only way uh, that really we can find a relationship in remembering God and in living life in a way that is truly meaningful. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, help us to take to heart what the teacher has said in the book of Ecclesiastes. That is a very somber message in chapter 12, a very real message of how the bright, sunny, warm days of youth soon turn to the dark, gloomy, rainy days of middle and old age, and ultimately, death, where we will be dust. We will merely, the sum total of our whole lives will just be a handful of dust in the soil. And that there are only meaning in life under the sun, can come from knowing not the creation, but you as the Creator God. And the only wise way to live in this world is to fear you and to prepare for judgment. And the great grace that you've given us is to send Jesus Christ, where on the cross he died for our sins. And therefore, we pray that as we come to the end of Ecclesiastes, all the more our faith in Jesus and in the cross that will be strong, will be firm, that the words of the teacher will be like goals teaching us and guiding us back to the cross and to live in fear of you. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg